Superman's just sick. Superman, please get better. He's not listening to you, Ricky. Yes, he is. He can hear me. He's got super hearing. Superman, you're just in a slump. Do it, Superman. Superman, you can't hear me, can't you? Superman, you're just in a slump. Do it right again. You can do it, Superman. Superman, And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Back to the Bins proudly presents I've got a few things to say about Superman. Hello and welcome to I've Got a Few Things to Say About Superman. My name is Snark McGill and this is episode number 14. I want to thank you for the download. I really appreciate it and I hope you enjoy the show. Well, I was looking at the feed before getting started with this to find out what episode number this was and realized I haven't had an episode out since August. Ouch. So I just want to give a quick apology to you guys. I really do apologize about that. I had fully intended to get episodes out with uh, much greater frequency and uh, I can't believe it's been that long. I really have no excuse to offer other than I'm a lazy slob. Uh, unlike the other shows that I participate in, you know, this one is a solo effort, so I have nobody but myself to blame. Uh, I can't even blame, like, work schedules or anything like that, because uh, there's nothing to coordinate. It just comes down to finding the time to sit down and do it and having the motivation to sit down and do it. So I don't like to think that I'm lacking the motivation for this show, but uh, I don't know what's going on. I'm just just flat lazy, like I said, so I apologize about that. But you know what? This is January of a brand new year, the time for resolutions, so no promises, but I am going to try much better to be much more frequent with this show. I would love for this show to be like weekly or something, but yeah, that's probably not going to happen, but I am going to do my best to uh, to have a greater regularity with these shows, because I really would love to have been much deeper into this Phantom Zone coverage than I am at the moment, although... I'm having a blast with this, and uh, from the feedback I'm getting, I think you guys are too. Speaking of feedback, you know, the feedback I'm getting is uh, mostly it's you know, word of mouth with actually speaking to people that are like, hey, by the way, I really like your Superman show. When are you going to get a new episode out? That sort of thing. I would love to have some actual feedback to read on the show. So remember, you can use the regular Two True Freaks uh, venues for leaving feedback, you know, either through our email addresses or through uh, the Facebook group. You do know there's a Facebook group for Back to the Bins, right? Uh, you know, PMing me through the Facebook group or PMing me through, you know, my own Facebook account, something like that. But uh, again, I'd love to have some feedback to actually read on the show. But 
again, the feedback I have heard uh, live and in person, so to speak, from uh, from the listeners has been really positive, and I really appreciate it. It seems like you guys really enjoy the show, and I enjoy doing it. I get a big kick out of it. So, let me think. Is there anything else, really? No, I can't really think of anything else. I just, I'm it, kind of itching to get into this, because if you remember last time around... I had said that I had planned to cover two books last time. Um, if you recall, again, uh, last time I covered the origin of Monel, basically Monel's first appearance and how that relates to the Phantom Zone, how he's very much an important character in the uh, lore of the Phantom Zone. But I had actually uh, planned to cover two stories, and just as I was sitting down to record that episode... I made a discovery that the character that I was planning to discuss in the second story actually appeared one issue earlier than the issue that I was planning to cover. So I decided, you know what, I haven't read that story, that's kind of important, let me go back read that story, and here's the truth, guys. What a waste of time. I completely wasted my time, I, you know, I really wish I had just gone ahead and done the story I had planned to do, because... There's really no relevance to that first issue. Uh, hopefully that'll become apparent as we begin to discuss this. So like I said, let's go ahead. Let's jump right in. I'm really itching to get into this. We are going to be taking a look at Adventure Comics number 288. And give me just a moment to pull up. Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Now, again, uh, I hope that you guys are using Mike's Amazing World as a resource. You can find it at Mike's Amazing World, all one, all one word, Mike's Amazing World.com. By the way, if you do use Mike's site and you've never gotten a hold of him, or if you're just discovering Mike's site and you're like, wow, this is really an awesome resource, get a hold of Mike and uh, send him some thanks because I know he works really hard on this, and Mike's a great guy, so let him know you uh, appreciate his site and all his hard work. Anyway, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, this is the cover dated issue September 1961. It was actually on sale July 27th of 1961, Features a cover by Kurt Swan and Stan Kay that I don't have much nice to say about. It has no relevance to the story that we're going to be covering. Uh, it's actually referencing another uh, story that's in the issue uh, called Bizarro Secret Identity. Now, if you know anything about me, you know that I have great disdain for Silver Age Bizarro stories, and I don't really care for Bizarro stories in any other era either. So, yeah, I'm just not the biggest Bizarro fan. But again, it has no relevance to the story that we're going to be covering we're actually taking a look at the one that has a little tiny, like, strip picture at the bottom. It says, also, a great Superboy adventure. That's the one that we're actually going to be taking a look at. So this one is called The Knave from Krypton. And uh, I think you'll enjoy the story. I will tell you it's only kind of peripherally sort of uh, related to the... Well, let's just go ahead and get into the story. It'll all, it'll all become apparent pretty quickly. So we start off with a an half-page splash that kind of sets up what the story is all about. And it says, When Dev M, a delinquent uh, Kryptonian youth, escaped the destruction of the planet Krypton together with his parents, he gained superpowers on Earth. So basically, in a sort of way, he's almost like the reverse Superboy. Uh, although he did come with his parents from Krypton. Again, we'll get into this as it goes along. He gains superpowers on Earth. Now DevM launches a sinister scheme to steal the identity of Superboy and make the Boy of Steel so universally despised that Superboy's career on Earth will be ruined forever. 
and the Boy of Steel becomes helpless to stop the spree of super destruction launched by the Knave from Krypton. Now, I just want to know, hopefully somebody out there can answer this question for me. I'm pretty sure I know the answer as it relates to today. But back then, in 1961, did kids of, say, between five... What's the demographic of kids back for comics back then? I, I would guess somewhere between, like, five and twelve, maybe? Do five to twelve-year-olds in 1961 know what a knave was? I'm not even sure I really understand the concept today. Knave, to me, is one of the suits in Sabic in Star, in Star Wars, you know, the card game. So I... A knave, you know, does any, I, today I'm sure that that's become a pretty archaic term, but was it such in 1961? I'm very curious about that. Anyway, so the, uh, as I say, it's kind of a half page splash. It's the upper half of the page and it has uh, Mon Pa Kenter reacting in shock as Superboy is smashing things on the floor. And Pa Kent says, have you gone mad, son? Why are you destroying your trophies? And Superboy says, I don't want that junk anymore. Trophies are kid stuff. However... We see Phantom Superboy in the Phantom Zones thinking to himself, and he says, if only I could tell Mon Pa that I'm trapped in the Phantom Zone and that the super brat pretending to be their son isn't really me, choke. To them, I'm invisible and don't exist. So right away, you know what's going on. Superboy is somehow going to be trapped in the Phantom Zone again, which is uh, very similar to what happened uh, in the very first Phantom Zone story. So... Here's why, right out of the gate, I found the prior issues read completely unfulfilling, uninteresting, and completely a waste of my time to go back and explore because I read this story first. I've I've had this issue in my collection a long, long time and had long believed until I happened to spot it on Mike's Amazing World and realized I was wrong. I had long believed that this was the first appearance of Dev M, the knave from Krypton. I think somewhere I've seen that footnoted, and I, I, I don't want to place you know improper blame, but I think it's footnoted that way in one of the Crisis on Infinite Earths um, indexes, either the Crisis on Infinite Earths index or the crossover index, one of the two. I think there's an improper foot. I'm going to have to research that. But anyway, long story short, I had long believed this was Dev M's first appearance, and it's actually not. He appears, as I said, in the prior issue, 287 of Adventure Comics. But here's the thing. You'd never know it by the way the story reads, because immediately it starts out with, many years ago on the planet Krypton, uh, there lived a wild, irresponsible youth named Dev M, who delighted in acts of vandalism. So right away you know he's, he's a brat, he's a thug. He's a juvenile delinquent, and he's flying around, and, you know, I don't think it really gives any explanation to how he's flying, but I believe they were using some sort of, like, jetpack belts or something like that, although it's not really apparent in the picture. It just looks like they are super Kryptonians flying around. But him and his three, uh, but, or his two buddies, the three of them, are flying around, and Dev M is holding this magic wand-looking thing. And he says, ha ha, ultrasonic vibrations from the from this rod are shattering every window in this school. So one day, his next door neighbor, scientist Jor-El, surprised Dev M, prowling in his home laboratory, intent on mischief. And we see the lights are being switched on. Jor-El's standing there. He's got his, his headband on. 
And he's just standing there in his like his green bathrobe. It's actually a pretty funny picture. Baby Kal-El. Now, is it just me or did Baby Kal-El seem to age and de-age depending on the necessity of the story, like what they needed him to do? Because, you know, sometimes he was an infant, sometimes he was a toddler. It, you know, it seems very inconsistent. He looks much older here than I would think that he would be coming to Earth anyway. He's standing there and he's pointing an accusing finger at Dev M and he's holding puppy Crypto under one arm and he says, Me told you, Crypto, uh, me, yeah. He says, Me told you, Crypto, and me saw him in here, Daddy. I, I really hate baby talk, how they did it in Silver Age DC. It's hard to read and it's even harder to say. And Jorel is saying, Thanks, Kalel. I'll attend to Dev M. And Dev M, you know, he's caught red handed. He's dropping an object in one hand, and then with his other hand, he has his back turned to Jor-El, so Jor-El can't see what he's doing. You see him, now he's slipping something into, like, the, I guess you would call it a cummerbund, like the cummerbund, like the front of his shorts. But, of course, everybody uh, in Kryptonian garb wears, like, basically tights with briefs. So it almost looks like he's reaching into the front of his briefs, which is just not right. But he's caught red-handed, and he's stammering. He's going, I, er, um... And just the fact that Jor-El is... He has a very Superman-esque pose. He already... I mean, of course, he looks like Superman. He's Superman's dad. And he's saying, I'll attend to Dev M. It just looks like, ooh, he's going to get a whooping. So, you turn the page. Very next panel, Jor-El is bum-rushing the kid out. He's, he's, it's like one of those old uh, cartoons, you know, where, where somebody be thrown out of a bar or out of a building or something. He is literally just tossing him right out on his behind. And he says, uh, I'll keep quiet about this only because I think so highly of your parents. Try it again and I'll report you. I, I wish he was a little bit sterner, like try it again and I'll kick your butt or something like that. But he just says he'll report him, which, okay, he should be doing that anyway, I think. But Jorel's a nice guy. He doesn't want to get the kid in trouble. And Dev M flat out lies to Jarrell. He says, I was only curious. That's all honest. Well, that's not honest at all. He actually stole from Jarrell. And what he stole from him was Jarrell's plans for the spaceship that would eventually be the spaceship that he would send Baby Kal-El to Earth. So, somehow in this story, you know, did I mention who this was written by? This is written by Jerry Siegel. Um, with art by George Papp. Now I'm very curious to look and see. All right, you're going to have to bear with me here. Now I'm really curious, was the Superman story, the one, the return to Krypton, had that happened yet? I'm trying to remember when that happens in Superman's history. Hmm. Well, I don't want to keep you guys waiting while I look that up. I will have to look into that, though. But this... um, kind of presupposes that he knows about the impending destruction of Krypton because he says to himself, he says, Jor-El's plans to let his son escape in a spaceship. I'll escape too, and I'll save my parents. So at the very least, whether it's public knowledge or somehow this kid just stumbled across the knowledge, he believes him. He believes that that is coming, which again, Jerry Siegel is the one that wrote the Return to Krypton story where Jor-El basically went on the news and informed everybody and there was an active plan to save Krypton, which goes so counter to most established Superman legend, especially of this time where the council, you know, you see it in all those old 
origin stories where the council laughed at Jor-El. They didn't believe him. And that was one of the reasons why it was so tragic that everybody but Kal-El died. Anyway, that's all kind of besides the point. It was just an observation of mine. So uh, Devim's plan was to sub, uh, was to convert a bomb shelter into a lead-coated space vehicle using equipment stolen from laboratories. So essentially what happens, we get it in this uh, next panel here, you see Krypton exploding, Kal-El's rocket flying away, and basically, even though it says that it's a, it's a bomb shelter, it looks like like his parents' basement, frankly, when he's down there and he's, he's looking at all the stuff that's in there. You see something that looks like a space water heater or something in the corner, like a space furnace and a shovel and all this other stuff. But in the panel where Krypton's exploding, it actually looks more like a, like a conventional like Earth observatory, like Griffith Observatory or something like that, like flying off. You know, it's a domed structure. So when you start to lump together all of pre-crisis superman history i wish somebody would draw a picture of krypton exploding and show all the crap that actually did fly away and survive the destruction besides just kal-el's rocket because you've got kal-el's rocket you've got argo city now you've got this uh, bomb shelter dome thing you've got uh, all these other rockets and oh it's just so much stuff anyway so Devem and his parents are in a state of suspended animation. And this is very much your standard science fiction, you know, cryo, you know, clear cryo tubes. You can see them asleep inside with the gas and everything, you know, think alien. And years after Kalel safely reached Earth and was adopted by the Kents and grew up to become the mighty Superboy, Devem's ve- uh, vessel alights on Earth, jarring the suspended animation controls so the mischievous youth becomes conscious again neither he nor his parents have aged through the years so he wakes up his cryotube opens and immediately he realizes he's super powerful because when he sits up he snaps the metal bands that were holding him in place in his cryotube now why they had metal bands and not just like velcro strips or something i don't know but he snaps them he realizes that he's super powerful Immediately goes outside and realizes he has supervision and he cites Superboy uh, being honored. And he says, Superboy is Kal-El, all grown up. So they love and honor him, eh? I'll change that. So this kid is still harboring, you know, bought her over <laughs> this incident way back. Well, of course, I guess to him it wasn't that long ago. But when Kal-El was a baby and ratted him out to Jor-El when he was raiding Jor-El's lab. So that's kind of the reason for all of this, why he starts to do what he does. I want to point out that this is it for the parents. I would love to know what became of Devem's parents. Because they're shown, clearly, they are still laying in their cryotubes unconscious presumably they're still alive you would think that he would have checked on them it says that they're you know they're in suspended animation he wakes up and immediately he goes on the spree that he's about to go on this is it i I will keep an eye out for further mentions of them but i know that they do not appear and dev m as i'll talk about in a little bit would go on to have a bit of a of a career beyond this story 
and I don't recall his parents ever being mentioned. So what happened to DevM's parents? So, using materials he stored in the bomb shelter vessel, uh, yeah, he's got a lot of stuff down in this basement, he constructs a Kryptonian uh, life mask, it's a plastic, or lifelike rather, lifelike plastic mask, it's basically, it's an exact duplicate of Superboy's, you know, and everybody in comics seems to have this skill where they can, you know, concoct a completely lifelike mask to wear and it, and it completely fools everybody. So, you know, he, uh, he hollows out a large boulder, coats it with chemicals and sets it ablaze and he tosses it. Uh, he's actually concealed inside of the man-made meteor. He's flying it, essentially. He's flying this meteor, and uh, he flies it into the pageant where Superboy is being honored. And the people look up, and they start to freak out. They're panicking, and one goes, that flaming object will kill hundreds of people. And uh, there's a guy in a... <laughs> it's just a great outfit, you know. It's a, it's an old-timey outfit. He's got his suit. He's got his tie. He's got his jacket. He's got his little fedora on. And he says, don't worry, Superboy will save us. I love that. So uh, as the boy of steel flashes toward the fiery peril, he observes to himself, he says, Great Scott, it's swerving back in the opposite direction, almost as though it saw me coming. I'll follow. So within the flaming boulder, DevM's x-ray vision has observed Superboy's approach. Now, why? So it's not a lead object because DevM's inside and he can see out. So why isn't Superboy looking inside i don't know it's just weird so devm's thinking to himself he says haha the gullible fool how easily i'm leading him to his doom so shortly as they near the lead line bombs shelter ship this is the the basement thing that he came to earth in he busts out and it's actually a pretty dynamic panel uh even for you know silver agr he busts out it's a it's a very dynamic superhero type pose where he busts out of the meteor and Superboy thinks to himself, he says, the meteor exploded and a super youth in a strange costume is flying out of it. Um, is it really all that strange a costume? Because it looks like every other Kryptonian outfit. And as a matter of fact, it is the exact same outfit that he was wearing, uh, wearing back on Krypton when baby Kal-El busted him stealing out of his dad's lab. He didn't even change his clothes. So <laughs> he says, who are you? What's this all about? And so he, DevM actually takes him inside the, uh, it says weird vehicle. Again, this isn't a vehicle. It was like his mom and dad's basement. And he's actually leaning on a table and behind him, again, we can see his parents are still in their cryotubes. And he says, I'm DevM, remember? And Superboy says, DevM, my super memory recalls you now. You're a wild Kryptonian youth I knew many years ago when I was a baby on Krypton. You haven't aged. And, uh, you know, Superboy shouldn't have had such an accusing tone because maybe he could have straightened this whole thing out. Maybe they could have been buddies. You know, maybe he could have smoothed things over. But by calling him a wild Kryptonian youth, uh, DevM is kind of set on his uh, on his plan here. And again, Superboy, use your x-ray vision, dude. Because right behind DevM, he's standing right in front of the Phantom Zone projector. And it says, sneeringly, the rascally super lad reveals how he and his parents survived the destruction of Krypton, blah, blah, blah. Uh, came to Earth and spent an animation. And then he says, recognize this machine? I brought it with me from Krypton. Now, wait, 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 wait. 
where would he have gotten his hands on a Phantom Zone projector? It's not like he went down to Krypton Mart and bought one. I mean, you would think with this being essentially their, for lack of a better term, their capital punishment instrument. Now, again, it doesn't kill them, of course. It was the replay, you know, it was the more humane thing to do with their criminals. But again, wouldn't you think that something like this was was a pretty rare item and it was being kept under lock and key? You know, that would be me like tricking my enemy into a situation and going, ha ha, I brought this electric chair along with me. You are doomed. You know, that's ridiculous. You know, where, where am I going to go and get an electric chair? It's just kind of silly. Anyway, he says, I brought it with me from Krypton. It's a punishment ray. Now to touch this black button and send you into the phantom zone. And of course, there's these standard uh, editors note about, uh, you know, on Krypton, criminals were put to the phantoms and blah, blah, blah. We already know all this. Superboy screams, he says, no, I'm disappearing. And of course, he goes into the Phantom Zone. And uh, Dev M gloats. He says, haha, you're a Phantom Superboy now. You'll remain this way forever unless I press the machine's white button. And Superboy thinks to himself, what a ghastly fate. <laughs> I love this stuff. I have so much fun with these old comics. So now Dev M uh, slips on his plastic mask uh, that he made earlier. And he says, I know you're here, Superboy. Even if I can't see you, my face looks exactly like yours now, doesn't it? Except for the fact, dude, that uh, the colorist forgot to change the color of your hair. So he says, I look exactly like you now, right? Um, nope, he does not because he, he still has brown hair. So essentially he s still looks like Dev M. <laughs> so... Off to a masquerade shop, flies DevM at super speed, trailed by the Phantom Superboy. And uh, he goes and he says, I figured there'd be Superboy costumes for sale here since he's considered such a great hero on this world. And, yeah, I guess so. By the way, I'm noticing in the foreground here, for one, in the well, let's first look at the background. There's uh, in this costume shop. Again, Smallville. Now, I know somewhere along the line, it would be established, at least in some versions of Superman continuity, that Smallville was actually named after a person like Joe Small or whatever. But I always, and I think I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that probably most readers had the same idea that Smallville meant like small, like tiny, like it was a little tiny burg. It was Hicksville, right? It was the middle of freaking nowhere. They have a costume shop. I've lived a lot of places and, you know, big places, small places. I can't remember a lot of costume shops. So I don't know. Anyway, in the background, there's uh, what looks like outfits from Gone with the Wind. You have a, um, I guess it's would be a Confederate soldier outfit. And then, a, uh, I don't know, I would call that like a Southern Belle dress. But then again, maybe not. I've seen Lana Lang wearing something similar in some of these old stories. But what I noticed was in the foreground with their backs turned to us. It actually looks like that could be the Lone Ranger and Tonto standing there. It's very funny. But uh, I just love the very super generic labeling on all the costume boxes. You've got uh, Spanish, Indian, Pirate, Gypsy, Lancer. I don't know what that's all about. There's one Roman. Oh, Roman Senator, I think it's supposed to. <laughs> yeah, some crazy costumes. So then uh, he zips back to, uh, it says, an empty laboratory. He steals, uh, it says, into an empty laboratory, steals DevM, 
Creating a chemical solution, he dips the Super Roy Masquerade costume into it. it. says, this formula will make the costume super resistant to friction now. I love how they're selective. And I mean incredibly selective with, we need to address this bit of science because somebody might write in about this. And then other things that you should probably address and give an explanation for completely glossed over. So how many like eight-year-old kids reading this comic in 1961 are even going to know what friction is, yet that's addressed here? But then there's other times when it's like, wow, that really makes no logical sense whatsoever. Or this needs a logical explanation, but they don't ever bother to give you one. It's very weird what they're so selective with. Actually, I just noticed something really cool. You've got Phantom Superboy, as he's doing, as Dev M is doing this, Phantom Superboy is watching him, of course, and he's leaning on the desk with his arms, but then the lower half of his body is actually inside the desk. So that's very cool. It's a very phantomy effect. That looks really neat. Uh, so donning the Superboy costume, then placing his own clothes in the cape's pouch, Dev M openly flies along. And he stops, and there's these kids that uh, are asking him for his autograph. And he just happens to stop in front of uh, the general store that's owned and operated by the Kents. So the kids are asking for his autograph. He says, sure. He says, ha, my masquerade's perfect. And Pa Kent, for whatever weird reason, leans over to Superboy and whispers in his ear. He says, I'm proud to be your father, Clark, which is just, okay, I, I guess. It's just, you know, picking, picking an odd time there, Dad, but okay. And, of course, this is to set up now Dev M learns who... Superboy's foster parents are on Earth. That, that's the whole reason they're doing this, but it just seems incredibly weird at the moment. So, real Superboy in the Phantom Zone, he's now he's all freaked out. He says, oh no. And it's funny because they never say, uh-oh, or oh no. He says, oh-oh. I've noticed this in a lot of old DC comics. Uh, I don't know if this is really how people talked. I, I think this is their version of uh-oh, but he says, oh-oh. Says Paul was fooled, and now the evil masquerader knows my secret identity. So, somehow or other, you know, it's, it, there is an explanation given, but I'm not buying it. We see Dev M, and he's flying into Superboy's hidden basement entrance. You know, he had this tunnel that went from like the Smallville woods underground into his parents' basement, where he had his super, you know, secret laboratory thing. And the explanation that's given in a thought bu uh, bubble as he comes up out of it, he, he just says, my supervision detected the secret tunnel leading into this house. Uh, okay, whatever. Anyway, Ma and Pa Kent are waiting for him as he comes up from the tunnel. And I'm just like, what? I mean, I, all right, I guess presumably maybe there's like a, a trip alarm somewhere or something so they know when he's coming. Or someone's coming through the... I don't know. It's just weird that he pops up out of the tunnel and here these old folks are standing around in this musty basement just waiting for him to pop up out of the ground. It just seems really bizarre. And uh, Ma Kent says, Welcome, son. Sometimes I wish it wasn't necessary to keep the world from learning you're our boy. Again. Okay. All right, Mom. Th thanks. So shortly in Superboy's secret trophy room, Dev M has some cruel... And in quotes, fun. <laughs> and this is the, the uh, image that we had on the uh, half a splash page where he's uh, now he's smashing all of Superboy's trophies to the ground. He's breaking every one of them. 
And Pa Kent says, have you gone mad? Why are you destroying your trophies? And Superboy, fake Superboy, says, I'm tired of that kid stuff. <laughs> and real Superboy. I love the things they call him. You know, they, they, you know, they can't swear. They can't, you know, say anything, I don't know, too much for the kiddies or what. So some of the things that he calls him are just hysterical. In this case, he says, the rat. Do people even call people rats anymore? I don't think they do. He says, the rat. What'll he do next to upset my parents? So <laughs> a little later, Ma can't, now they're in the living room. And she says, oh, the clock stopped. Uh, will you please uh, set the correct time, uh, then wind the clock for me, dear? And uh, Superboy, he's he's still dressed as Superboy. He's not even Clark now. So like, what if somebody comes over? So he says, yes, Ma. And he picks up the clock. And, you know, of course, he's super strong, like the real Superboy would be. And she asked him to wind the clock. He basically just twists the clock. So he's like twisting the metal into like a pretzel shape. And <laughs> Kent gets all ticked off and he says, that's not funny. Your mother loved that clock, and now you've destroyed it with your super strength. Apologize to her immediately. And Superboy says, again, this fake Superboy, he says, I'm not in an apologetic mood today. Instead, I feel like exercising. And so he smashes <laughs> Pawkins' favorite chair. <laughs> I'm having a riot with this story. And Pawkins really fuming now. He goes, you're deliberately storing my favorite armchair. Now, if this was his favorite armchair, he must have cared nothing for comfort or anything because this looks about as comfortable as a church pew. But anyway, uh, he says, you've gone too far. I'm going to discipline you. And Martha, the sensible one in this part of the story, says, Jonathan, you can't possibly. So the next panel is flat ridiculous. You've got teenage so i would guess he's probably like 16 by this point you've got superboy bent over pa kent's knee pa kent sitting on the ottoman and he's trying to paddle superboy's behind and he says ouch my hand you're harder than steel i forgot that when i tried to punish you like this years ago i fit how could you possibly forget this really <sighs> okay whatever so Ma, she's all distraught. And by the way, uh, fake Superboy's laughing himself. It's hysterical in that panel. It is a completely ridiculous panel. So in the next panel, Ma Kent, she's all distraught. She says, what's come over you, son? You've changed. What? He's just, they don't really know that. So he's just acting a little weird. He's, I don't know. They jump to quick conclusions. And uh, he says, I'm sick of being a goody-goody. From now on, things will be different. And Pa says, no, don't fly out that window. If someone sees you, your secret identity will be revealed. But he goes, and Superboy, the real Superboy, Phantom Superboy, is flying right behind him, and I love his raised fist. It just has a kind of like, oh, darn you, kind of look to it. It's, it's actually really funny. So Superboy, again, fake Superboy, flies out the window. He says, so what? Who cares? And he flies out the window. And Phantom Superboy is thinking to himself, fortunately, the street's temporarily deserted. No one sees him. Denvam has uh, made my parents believe... I'm a disobedient brat. What other mischief uh, will he do now? And he does, at this point, a lot of stuff. And I'm not going to go into everything because it, it goes on and on and on. But he uh, he destroys the library. He, uh, he powders all the people with a bag of cement, basically. He's doing all this stuff. He wrecks an air show. He... 
attacks an alien guy. Oh, this part of the story was really, really ridiculous. He steals this helmet that basically makes your thoughts become reality or some ridiculous. Yeah, I'm skipping all that because it's really, really silly. But basically, getting to page 10, this is the part where it really gets to kind of the crux of the story. So Dev M has done all this stuff. He's wreaking havoc all over the place. And so in the Kent home, we see the broken-hearted Kents. They are actually sobbing, and I feel kind of bad for them. It says, presently in the Kent home, there is great sorrow. And on the radio, they're listening to the radio. I'll, again, I love the old-timey nature of Smallville. This, the radio is saying, Superboy has turned into a super delinquent. You know, why don't they just say Superboy's gone bad or Superboy is now evil? But no, he's a super delinquent. Again, do people really even use the word delinquent much anymore? I'm not sure. So Martha, she's sobbing her poor eyes out. She's got her hanky up to her face. I feel so bad for her. She says, oh, Jonathan, why has our boy become evil? There we go. There's the evil. And she says, why? He was always so good, but now... And Jonathan can only choke back tears. And he says, I don't know. Meanwhile, in the Phantom Zone, Superboy is really cool. He's colored in a very cool way here. It's almost like like pastel, like very light colored, uh, light colors versions of his costume. So he's like half phantom, half real. And he says, suddenly, I feel strange as though something's happening to my phantom form. What? And in the next instant, you see... Fake Superboy holding the Phantom Phantom Zone projector. And he says, welcome back to the material world again, Superboy. The Punishment Ray's white button has returned you. And Superboy gasps. And he says, you've made me solid once more. I'm no longer a phantom. I know you hate me, Dev M. So why have you freed me from that awful doom? Uh, be grateful, dude. So placing the Punishment Ray machine back in the spacecraft. Why do they even feel the need to tell you that? Why don't you just, you know, he set it down or whatever. Anyway, he removes his plastic mask and he says, Why am I so kind to you, Superboy? Because your worst punishment is now about to begin. When you see how everyone now yeah, when you see how everyone now hates you, you'll learn what real suffering is. I've returned you to Earth because your life here will be a thousand times more pleasant for you. Uh what? A thousand times more unpleasant for you than mere banishment to the Phantom Zone. So basically, he's let him out because he knows he's wrecked his life, and this is going to be really difficult on Superboy because now everybody's turned on him. So, lifting the weird bomb shelter spaceship. Thank you, thank you. That's what I kept saying. It wasn't a spaceship. It wasn't a whatever they called it before. It's a bomb shelter. So lifting it overhead, Dev M super streaks upward with it. He says, goodbye, Superboy. I'm flying off to a bright future and leaving you stranded here amidst your heartbreaking, unbearable present day world. And Superboy watches him go. He says, he's vanishing at super speed together with the ship into the time barrier. I'll return to Smallville at once and clear myself. And this is probably the best opportunity to say, we will see Dev M again. I actually, I have to be honest with you, I actually missed this uh, before, this part where it actually does say that he's flying into the time barrier because, um, spoiler, that's where Superboy's going to catch up with him again. He actually, when, when Dev M said he's flying into a bright future, he was being literal. He is going into the future, and that's where uh, Superboy will encounter him again. But in the meantime, Dev M has flown off and left Superboy in an awful mess because now 
uh, Superboy uh, goes back into Smallville, and the first thing he says, and I feel bad for for Superboy, he says, let me explain about, and nobody wants to hear it. You've got this woman who's given him a terrible sneer, and she just says, Super Beast! <laughs> You've got another guy again with his uh, suit coat and his tie and his fedora, and he says, we don't want to hear anything you have to say, criminal. And another one's going, Mad Dog! And I'm thinking... Okay, you guys are right to be upset with him, but at the same rate, he could crush you into cosmic powder, so maybe you want to be a little bit nicer to him, I'm just saying. Plus, he has laser vision. So, bewildered and hurt, Superboy returns home seeking pity, but, God, even his parents, what is wrong with these people? So, so you've got uh, Pa Kent. Pa Kent's so mad he actually took his jacket off, so he's standing there, uh, in his stupid looking uh, sweater thing with his with his business shirt on. It just looks silly to me. I don't know. He says, how dare you show your face in this house again after the things you've said and done? Weren't they just crying about him a minute ago? You know, and he's standing there looking very sad, very remorse and everything. His own parents won't cut him some slack. And... Ma Kent, she's got her finger out. She's got a stern look. You hardly ever see Ma Kent like this, but she's angry too. And she says, we taught you to be good and kind. How could you become so bad? And he says, uh, you know, he explains the whole thing and we kind of catch the end of the explanation. He says, while I was helplessly trapped in the Phantom Zone, Dev M from Krypton impersonated me and did those acts of super vandalism. So Pa Kent, I don't know, you know, there's there's the words he's saying, but then there's the look on his face. He's still standing there all stern looking with a, you know, scowly face and his hands on his hips. And he says, there's a public protest meeting about you being held before city council or before city hall, rather. He says, go clear yourself, son. So swiftly, the boy of steel flies to the meeting. But as he tells his incredible story, you've got this guy. I don't know who this guy is supposed to be. He goes, lies, all lies. Get off Earth, Superboy. We hate the sight of you. What a jerk. Again, I'm going to remind these people, um, Superboy could pretty much fling you into the sun, so you might want to be a little bit nicer to him, especially if you really do believe he's turned evil, you know? But Chief Parker, I love Chief Parker. Chief Parker, he reaches out, touches Superboy on the shoulder, and he says, but before you go, at least be gentleman enough to return the trophy cup uh, with which we, uh, with which you were honored at the pageant. This was at the beginning of the story. It says, bring it here before sundown. And Superboy, he's crying. He's choking back tears. He says, I, I will, Chief Parker. He says, Mr. Parker has always been almost like a father to me. Uh, he says, I'm sorry he doesn't believe my story either. So returning home, Superboy sadly packs his belongings. And, um, well, I, he is a teenage boy, but yeah, he can't pack for anything. He's got his uh, suitcase open and he's just like, it looks like he's just throwing things in there all willy nilly. So he says, uh, they didn't believe me, Ma. They ordered me to leave Earth. No, this dude did. Now, who is this guy? Is this the mayor? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. It never identifies this guy that told him to get off Earth. Who is he to tell Superboy he's got to leave Earth? All right, I can see get out of town. Or we're going to lock you up for 30 days or apologize or fix everything that you messed up and don't ever do it again. But he's ordering him to leave the planet. Harsh. So uh, Superboy says, uh, I don't want to stay in a world that loathes me. And now, now the Kents are all upset. And Ma Kent says, 
What a sob tragedy. Yeah, all right. Well, you know, maybe if you were a little more supportive. Anyway, so later that afternoon, the boy of steel gives back the trophy cup. And he sees this fire engine truck uh, streak by as he's handing it over to Chief Parker. And he turns away to look at the the fire truck and he says, "Uh, perhaps I ought to. And the guy that ordered him off earth before says, our fire department can handle the emergency without the aid of a super criminal. We don't want your help. Wow. So Chief Parker, he says, look, as I suspected, some unknown foe of Superboy switched cups. So when he when we presented Superboy with a cup made of uh, wait what, so that we presented Superboy with a cup made of red kryptonite, this acid reveals red kryptonite is underneath the cup's gold surface plating, and he knows this because he's pouring something presumably acid on the cup. All right, so that's all right and everything except what would possibly have made him want to pour acid on the cup nobody stops to question this so in the last page we see chief parker he's holding up the cup and you can see the exposed section of it where it's red kryptonite he says red kryptonite always affects superboy unpredictably and this time exposure to it made him act like a criminal fortunately each piece of it can only affect him once And you've got this old lady, just this random old lady in the background going, don't leave Earth. And then you've got the guy, again, I'm going to presume this guy's the mayor, although it never identifies him. He just says, uh, then you weren't to blame for your evil actions, Superboy. And again, this other dude who looks like, um, oh God, who is that guy's name? It's not Gene Kelly. Um, the famous old dancer. Oh, I can't think of his name. Anyway, he's uh, he's stepping in. He goes, you're forgiven. Again, who is this guy? But again, at least everything's forgiven. Everybody likes Superboy again. So afterward, Chief, Parker, ta- Chief Parker takes Superboy aside, and Superboy says, Mr. Parker, and again, shouldn't he call him Chief? Anyway, he says, Mr. Parker. He says, Mr. Parker, there's something I must tell you. My microscopic vision revealed to me that the red substance under the plating wasn't red kryptonite. It was ordinary red clay. And Chief Parker, again, Chief Parker's pretty cool. I like Chief Parker. He says, I knew that. He says, I believed your story about Dev M. And so, while you were gone, I had that fake red kryptonite cup quickly prepared. I secretly arranged with the fire chief for that fire truck to speed by so its sirens would distract everyone while I switched cups. Really? All right, that's a little elaborate. Couldn't we have just had him say, I actually knew that all trophies have red clay underneath them. I, you know, as a kid, I wouldn't have known that that wasn't the truth. Like, they don't lie to me all the time in these old comics, right? I mean, who's it going to hurt to tell that? It's totally wrong, but eh. All right, anyway, it's a little too elaborate of a plan, but I do like this part because Superboy, I just like the look on his face, and he goes, gosh, thanks. (laughs) So later in the can't home, all's well that ends well. With Ma, she's actually hugging Superboy to her, and she's patting his face, and she says, how fortunate Chief Parker believed you and made it possible for you to remain on Earth because of his clever trick. And Superboy is thinking to himself, he says, someday I'll journey into the future. This is the part I was wondering about. You're just going to let Dev M get away with this? But no, he's not. He says, someday I'll journey into the future and even the score with Dev M. Meanwhile, I'll repair all the damage he caused. The 
end. Oh, what a sweet story. Who? Yeah, this is a wacky one. And uh, you're okay if you think it's wacky, because I think it's wacky too. But it is fun. It is it is a fun story. Um, by the way, there's an, a letter here from a Joan Bittner from Washington, D.C. that talks a bit about uh, the Phantom Zone and everything. And again, we are promised... Uh, it says here, we also intend to publish a three-part novel in Superman comics in which the Man of Steel has an amazing experience inside the Phantom Zone. Again, I don't know what story they're talking about, but uh, yeah, I, we're, I don't think we're going to get that, or at least not anytime soon anyway. That's not within the next couple of stories that I'm going to be talking about. So, Dev M. Um, I don't want to spoil too much because I will be talking about it later, but Dev M is going to go into the future. He goes to the 30th century. Now, they may or may not call it the 30th century in the actual story we will go to um, because, again, when the Legion first came along, they kind of played fast and loose with, with exactly when the Legion era was set and it would eventually become the 30th century. I can't recall off the top of my head if the story that I will cover later with Dev M actually says it's the 30th century, but it's the 30th century. Again, to the best of my knowledge, parents never addressed. Now, he did take them with him, which is a thing I'd kind of forgotten. So when he picked up the lab, the, the basement thing, and he flew off to the time barrier with it, they were, presumably, still in there. But again, to the best of my knowledge, even though we would see Dev M, you know, again in a future story where he, you know, Superboy comes to settle the score, and subsequently after that, if you listen to Tales of the Justice Society of America, one of the crisis crossover issues that we discussed on that show was actually um, one of Dev M's appearances. So he would become an irregular, um, what would you call it, like ancillary Legion character in Legion stories. But, and I, I, I by no means calling myself an expert on Legion stories, but to the best of my knowledge, I don't remember his parents ever being addressed again. As a matter of fact, in the story that Michael Bailey and I talked about, the, the Legion story with Dev M in it, the thing that drew the Monitor's attention was discovering that yet another Kryptonian survivor of uh, the destruction of Krypton existed in the 30th century. The, the Monitor seemed shocked to find this out. Well, presumably there's not just one, there's at least three because there's Dev M and then his parents, unless something happened to his parents. But I don't know. If anybody else knows differently, I'd love to hear it. I tried to look this up and could find nothing on it. So I don't know what becomes of his parents, but that's, I just think that's an interesting little mystery. So, of course, um, not the first appearance of, of Dev M, but the first uh, uh, encounter, you know, true encounter with Superboy in this story. Now, the Phantom Zone is is kind of just the MacGuffin to, you know, get Superboy out of the way while, while Dev M kind of wrecks his life and everything. So, Phantom Zone in the story, but but not, you know, not like the crux of the story. But there are some interesting things to note here. Now, of course, this comes fast on the heels of Superboy uh, number 89, which uh, was cover dated just three months prior to this, in which, if you remember, at the end of that story, in order to save Monel's life, Superboy projected him into the zone. Yet Superboy is pre projected into the zone in this story, and he's alone. 
we still have not encountered any criminals actually in the Phantom Zone itself. So that still begs the question, where are the criminals? If this was the thing that was used on Krypton to send the criminals away, you know, more humanely than, you know, as they were doing, sending them into space, presumably, for at least some of them, you would imagine, to their death by you know, just rocketing them into space. Now they were putting them into the Phantom Zone as a more humane uh, punishment. But where are they? Because this is the second time now that Superboy's been in the Phantom Zone. Um, and the third time we've seen the, seen the Phantom Zone used, if you include um, Mon-El being projected into it at the end of his story. And we've still not encountered any criminals. So where are the criminals? Um, but more to the point, where's Mon-El? So I think that that's really interesting that we just got that story three months ago and Superboy goes there and is there for most of this story. And not only doesn't he encounter anyone in the zone, he doesn't encounter Mon-El. That just seems really odd to me. Um, now, I do believe these two stories were written by different people. I'd have to look that up, but I, I think they were. So that might account for some of it. Um, and of course, you know, Mon-El wouldn't be relevant to the story necessarily or what, but I would like to see that, um, you know, that, that kind of continuity between the stories and everything. But anyway, I think that's about all I've really got on this story. I made most of my comments as I was actually going through the story. I do like it. I do get a kick out of it. And, uh, and I do like Dev M. I don't like him in, in the prior issue or in this particular story because he is, the knave from Krypton. He's a jerk, you know, he's a juvenile delinquent. Um, don't want to spoil too much, but, uh, yeah, I come to like this character a lot. I like, I like his role in the, in the Legion stuff. So I think that's about it on this one. I'm going to go ahead and let's just forge right into our next story. Now, oddly enough, our next story is the next issue of adventure comics. It's adventure comics. Number two 89. Um, this one is covered dated October of 61, Again, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, this was on sale August 31st, 1961. By the way, I don't think I mentioned this uh, on the last issue, so I'll mention it here. Cover price, both these issues, a whopping 10 pennies, 10 cents. Wow, that's just awesome to think about. So the cover on this one actually is relevant to the story inside. The cover is flat, ridiculous. This story is called Clark Kent's Super Father, and you can probably kind of sort of guess as to what we're talking about here. So you have Ma Kent in the background standing in front of their uh, their white fence. Not a picket fence, it's just a solid fence in their backyard, but it looks hardly high enough to be hiding to anybody that would come snooping around. The scene that's happening here. You've got Superboy standing there looking very stunned. Ma, Pen Ma Kent's looking very stunned, too. You've got chubby, fat, balding, I'm guessing 60-ish Pa Kent taking to the air in a Superman costume. I'm going to say that again. Pa Kent in a Superman costume taking to the air, and he's saying to himself, or he's saying out loud, he's saying, from now on, I'll patrol Smallville, son. This mask, and okay, he's about to put on a Lone Ranger mask, and he's still wearing his spectacles. This mask will conceal my identity. 
You stay home and do your homework. What? And Superboy is thinking to himself, Great Krypton, ever since Dad got superpowers, he hasn't once let me go into action. You know, on the one hand, it annoys me, but on the other hand, and and I think this is the stronger of, of the two thoughts to me, what a testament it is to this child's upbringing that even though he, at this point, could juggle planets and cross the time barrier and blow out stars and all this other amazing stuff that he could do, that when Dad said, stay home and do your homework, eh, okay, that's what he's going to do. He's going to stay home and do his homework. I can't get my kids to behave like that, and I got no superpowers. So, I don't know, it's pretty amazing. That's that's some good parenting right there. And you know what's funny? It's awesome and everything, but do we really even see this super parenting in these comics? Because a lot of times, now I'll, I'll let Ma Ma Kent off the hook, but but Pa Kent a lot of times, yeah, kind of a jerk. So I don't know. And I'm just noticing here that Superboy's what would that be? His left leg. Ah, yeah, he looks like he's had a bad fall down the stairs or something. It's very like elasticy, like. Mr. Fantastic looking. Something's very odd. And that's strange because uh, this is Kurt uh, Kurt Swan and Stan K, um, artists that I really, really like. But something's not right with Superboy's leg right there. It's like he's having a weird muscle cramp or something. All right, so this one is written by Otto Binder with art by George Papp. You know, it just occurred to me, I don't think I gave... Oh, no, I did. I did say Jerry Siegel and Joe Papp on the last story. Okay, I did mention that. Okay, so this is different writer once again. This is Otto Binder. Uh, with our same art team uh, of George Papp here. So again, this is Clark Kent's super father. And uh, this time we do get a full page uh, splash to kind of introduce the story. It says, every boy admires and respects his father. Really? Okay. And Clark Kent is no exception. But one day, fate turns Jonathan Kent into the most unusual parent in history as Clark's kind-hearted dad gets superpowers. Oh, dear Lord. You know, I'm trying to remember. Did we occasionally see... You know, I'm going to hold that thought because I think we see it in this story, actually. I'll, I'll comment on this later. So says, naturally, uh, so astounding an event is bound to make changes in the Kent household, you think? But not even Superboy's wildest imagination, uh, not even in, rather, Superboy's wildest imagination, could he dream of the fantastic things that would happen when jovial Jonathan Kent becomes Clark Kent's super father. Oh, dear God. So we see... I'm not sure where this is supposed to be, the Superboy's secret basement thing. You know, how big is the Kent household anyway? But we see this mixture of Superboy and Clark Kent robots and Jonathan Kent, again, dressed in a Superman outfit and looking quite ridiculous, is smashing two Superboy robots together and they're going all to pieces. And he says, for years... I was worried every time he went out on emergencies and took deadly risks against all sorts of menaces and villains. Now that I've got superpowers, you'll stay home, Superboy, and I'll go out. I don't even want these Superboy robots to fly one mission. And Superboy is actually saying out loud, I can't believe it. All these years, my father has been jealous of me. (laughs) This is a nice setup for where this story is going to go. All right, so you're going to have to strap in and hold on for this one because as kind of wacky and silly as the last story could be, oh boy. 
All right, so here we go. So one day at the Kent household in Smallville, and Clark, uh, Pa Kent comes walking in on Clark, and Clark is, again, presumably in his, yes, this is his trophy room, and he's holding this weird, like, like uh, Arabian scimitar-looking thing or something, Clark is. And Clark turns around to see Pa Kent walk in, and Pa Kent is smoking a... Uh, pretty much going to call this a cigar. This is what I was thinking. This is the thought I had a moment ago. I'd buy this story a lot more if this is one of those like Perry White super cigar stories or something. I'm not sure if that story had been written yet. But anyway, he comes walking in and he's smoking a stogie, which is hysterical. He's, for some weird reason, he's all dressed up. Now, when my father would be around the house, you know, he'd be, you know, in like a t-shirt and his underpants or something. And this guy... You know, he's all dressed to the nines, like he could go out to the opera or something, and he's wearing a an apron, and he's got a feather duster. Where in the world is Ma Kent? So he says, pardon, Clark, he says, but now that Mom's away, oh, here we go, Mom's away on a visit to her relatives, I'm doing the housework. <laughs> yeah, that'll be the day. Uh, yeah, whatever. He says, mind if I dust around your trophy room? And, uh, is that... Is it just me or is that weird? You know, I don't remember my dad. Well, for one thing, I don't remember my dad ever doing homework or housework rather. But even if he did, if he suddenly came in and said, yeah, your mom's out. So uh, can I dust around your comic room? I'd be like, uh, yeah. All right. Um, I'm going to go over to Chris's house. I don't know. This is just weird. But Clark, you know, Clark's a good kid. He says, not at all, Dad. Come on in. He's not worried that Pa's going to find his stash anywhere. So he says, uh, I'll help you clean just as soon as I rearrange a few souvenirs in my collection. Now, narcissistic just a little bit? Okay, what is with the with the, the trophy? Th- I don't know. Whatever. I don't know. It just seems a little weird to me. So, uh i can't start dusting a superboy statue statuary everywhere by the way and he says thanks son it's interesting how these trophies recall the different adventures you had as superboy um i think that's the point of them pa can't he says uh you got these three statuettes from uh, some of the members of the legion of superheroes after an adventure on the Superboy planet, which they had built in your honor. And we see statues of Cosmic Boy, Saturn Girl, and Lightning Lad. And it actually says under each one of them what their superpowers is, just in case Superboy forgets, I guess. I, I don't know. It's weird. It says, but take some of the trophies you brought back from outer space. You never did determine what their special powers are. Like this space jewel. What does it do? Why does it gleam so strangely? He reaches out and touches it. And as soon as he does... It does something to him. He says, hey, my hand, it's starting to tingle. The sensation is spreading through my whole body. And Clark, suddenly he's concerned. He says, what's the matter, Dad? So he helps his father into the next room. And this makes it look like this secret trophy room is a connecting room with the living room. And it's huge. That's not going to work. It looks like it's right between, like, uh, on one side you have a piano and this other thing, I don't know, it's a bureau or a grandfather clock or something. So how how did, how does that work? When you have people come over, especially nosy Lana Lang, how does that work? She never questions where that door goes 
Or is it like a secret panel type of thing? Like it closes behind them and there's actually like a picture on the wall of like, you know, great Abadiah Kent or something. I, I don't know. It's just weird. Anyway, he's helping his dad into the next room and uh, Pa goes, uh, I don't know. Uh, he goes, I don't know, son. I feel so funny. Right after I touched that space jewel, it affected me in some strange way. And Clark says, you know, maybe I have a little lie down. He says, no, Clark, you don't understand. I don't feel weak. I feel strong. Why, I could lift a piano. And Clark thinks he's out of his mind. But suddenly, Pa Kent actually does lift up the piano. And he says, have I super strength or haven't I? And Clark is, uh, he's floored by this. He gasps, holy smokes. <laughs> and Pa Kent says, speaking of smokes, I'll think I'll have one. Now, wait a minute. Didn't he just have a stogie? He did have it. Okay, so when he touched the space jewel, his stogie flew out of his mouth. So rather than go back into the room and just reclaim the stogie he already had, which is presumably burning a hole in the carpet and setting the Kent household on fire, he just fetches a new stogie out of his, uh, out of his breast pocket, puts it in his mouth, and then uses his newly acquired heat vision to light it, which, again, amazes Clark. So Pa Kent... He's been holding the piano this entire time, by the way. Sets the piano back down and says, Now let's see if I can fly. Up we go! And he does. He takes to the air. Now he's flying around. So uh, he tells Clark, This is just marvelous. Now I know how you felt all these years. Able to do so many uh, things ordinary people can't do. I must test myself for other superpowers. First I must see if I'm invulnerable. I'll turn on the workshop buzzsaw. This is not... Not children. Never do this at home. Do not start your buzzsaw in your workshop and then put your your hand in front of it. I cannot believe they published this in a book, arguably for children. And again, not the brightest of children sometimes, but this is literally what happens. He starts the buzzsaw. Now, Clark does tell him not to do it. He says, no, dad, wait, you might get hurt. So at least there's that. But yeah, he does. He He's... Standing there, he's got a very confident, almost like a sneering expression. He's got his lit stogie in one hand, which again, comics these days, yeah, he wouldn't get away with that. And he's putting his bare hand to the buzzsaw blade with the other. Wow. Wow, DC Comics. Well, you know what? It's no less irresponsible than anything else that they're shoveling out these days. So next, he smashes his fist through the wall. What? says, now I'll smash my fist right through the cement wall of this. Oh, the cellar. What? Okay. All right. Uh, I'm going to, all right. I'm going to presume that we're actually going all over the house here. That he flew down to the cellar to test his hand with a buzzsaw and then, okay. But they never show that. So it's very confusing. Anyway. He does. He puts his fist through the wall, says he'll fix the damage later. And then he super speeds around the house using, you know, super speed to clean the whole the whole house. In just a matter of seconds, he says, uh, the house will be spick and span. And Clark says, it's amazing. I can hardly believe my eyes. My father has superpowers. Yes, I think we've well established that by this point. Forgive me, Dad, but it's a little hard for me to get used to. And Pa can't immediately... He adopts, he adopts a very kind of condescending, smug attitude here. And he says, I understand, son. But now there's not only a Superboy around this house, 
but a Superman. And it's very interesting to note that they hyphenate Superman. It's super hyphen and bolded man. He knows, I know how happy this will make you. Or won't it? Maybe you're jealous of my new superpowers. What a jerk. And Clark, you know, Clark's a good kid. He says, gosh, Dad, it's just the opposite. Now we both have superpowers. We'll have great times together. And Pa can't. Power's gone straight to his head, man. He says, no, son, not we, me. For years, while you've gone out on dangerous missions, I've sat on the sidelines worrying. Yes, lad, even though you're invulnerable, there were countless times you found yourself in kryptonite traps, and much too often you almost died of kryptonite fever. Sounds like a record in the 70s, doesn't it? Kryptonite fever. So from now on, this will be a man's job, not a boy's job. <laughs> and I love the expression on, on Clark's face. He goes, but, but, but dad. But he, <laughs> Jonathan, you know, he's really, he's quickly turning in this story. He says, don't butt me, Clark. He says, fate in some form of that space jewel gave me the chance to replace you. And replace you I will. From now on, you're going to live a normal boy's life. And I'll perform the super deeds. And don't give me any arguments. What a jerk. Now you go outside and mow the lawn. And at normal speed, mind you, like an average lad should. I want you to grow accustomed to doing everything in an unsuper fashion. Meanwhile, I'll make a costume for myself. Oh, dear God. So shortly outside the cat house, we see Clark. And he's got one of those old-timey push mowers. Now, I'm not talking like a like a lawn mower like we would have today, you know, where you put gas in it and yank the cord and all that or use a key. He's got one of those stupid ones that you push. Thank God almighty I never had to suffer using one of those things. Yeah, that wouldn't have happened. He says he's thinking to himself, he says, "Golly, I never expected to turn like this, like like this, yeah. Like this." He says, "Dad wants me to take over or dad wants to take over my Superboy role completely." And I just can't say no to him. And uh, Jonathan can't. He's at the window and he hollers out. He says, okay, son, now come inside and meet your super father. Oh, dear Jesus, please no. Uh, next panel. It's just wrong, wrong, wrong. You have got Tubby. I mean, you know, he's he's a well-past middle-aged, paunchy white guy in a superman costume and he's standing there he's got his glasses on he's holding in, in one hand he's holding his little lone ranger mask and he says like the costume and I, you know clark now i know you're a good kid and he's your dad and you love him and you don't want to hurt his feelings but you should be like dear jesus god no dad come on what do you think no no now go upstairs and act your age and put some pants on for god's sake but he doesn't and uh you know Pac Kent continues he says it's a replica of yours yeah no joke yeah we can we can see that he says chemically treated fireproofed and environmental well superboy's costume now i know this is a disturbing thought but superboy's costume is indestructible and it and it stretches to the proportions of the wearer much like the outfits of like say like the fantastic four plastic man or something like that so why doesn't he just put on superboy he's already forbidden him to be superboy so why doesn't he just put on superboy's costume he could even throw it through the washing machine real quick if they even have a washing machine in hickville so why go through all this trouble to fashion the exact same 
I don't know. I'm, I give up. So anyway, and he says, and uh, oh yes, I'll use this mask. Yes, that's going to fool everybody, Pa Kent, because there's nobody that looks like you. And oh jeez. Anyway, says I must work at preserving my secret identity just as you did. I'm gonna ask why on that a little bit later on the story. Clark, you know, I'm actually going to, I'm gonna take back something I said. Uh, you know, Clark is a good kid, like I said, but. I do think he's telling a little white lie. It's like when your wife asked you, does this make my butt look big? Because Clark's going, uh, it it looks great, Dad. Yeah, he knows that that, you know, there's no getting out of this, you know, one way or the other. You know, you're either, you're either telling a lie or you're hurting somebody's feelings. So, yeah, it looks great, Dad. No, no, it doesn't. It looks wrong, Dad. On every conceivable level, it ain't right. So next moment, as uh, Dad pushes the button, it's funny now, all of a sudden, the caption box is calling him Dad. So this next moment, as Dad pushes the button of a secret panel, and there's secret panels all over this house. I feel bad for whoever ended up purchasing the Kent home much later after they passed away. You know, they, they were probably for years finding all kinds of secret panels and stuff. Says so now I'll show you how serious I'm, I am about you giving up your Superboy career. And uh, from now on, even the Superboy robots will become a thing of the past. And he pulls them all out and he smashes them. I don't want you Superboy robots ever to handle an emergency again. So I'll destroy them. Ah, you know what? I just caught something that was going to be one of my major beefs with this story later on. But I'm, I'm going to let it go. So Clark says, but dad, I need them when I can't go on patrol. And for a hundred other valuable uses, I don't want to know any of those. Okay? I just don't. So, uh, Pa Kent, he says, that was yesterday. Today, I'm taking over. There'll be no more patrols. No more super feats. Now go visit your friends while I organize my daily routine so that it fits into my new career. Never once had my, my parents ever tell me, now go visit your friends. Never had that happen. It was usually go to your room. You're grounded. Now, anyway, Clark, he, he's looking very hurt. He goes back up the stairs. All right, Dad, I'll see you at supper time. So presently, as Clark dazedly walks downtown, and he is, he's kind of walking very, uh, you know, very dejectedly down the street. I, I like the couple of bums that are just kind of milling around in the background. You got one leaning up a lamppost. You know, given the history of Smallville, I'm thinking these two are up to no good. But Clark, he's he's completely unaware. He says, gosh, my whole life has changed. I'm so used to being Superboy. I don't know how I'll adjust to uh, being a normal boy. Now, you know, you would think he'd be, in a, in a certain sense, he'd be grateful for this. Because, you know, as awesome as it would be to be able to fly and lift cars over your head and laser vision and all that sort of thing, at the same rate, you got to imagine of all of them that are out there, Superboy slash Superman, at times, it's got to be a real pain in the behind, Right. I mean, the guy never gets two minutes to himself, even when he's working. Like as Clark, you know, if, if suddenly a plane's fallen out of the sky or something, he's got to come up with some excuse why he can run out and, and duck into a closet and become Superman and go save people that, you know, are, are constantly getting themselves into foolish situations. So to a certain extent, you would think he'd be a little bit grateful to have this burden lifted off. So, yeah. All right, Dad, you want to take care of the world? All right. You knock yourself out, man. I'll be at the movies. But no, he's actually, he's feeling pretty low about this. He says, yet I must. Uh, he goes, I must adjust, rather. He says, I can't disobey Dad if this is the if this is how he wants things. I, I wish my kids felt that way. 
says, wait, I just remembered something. I promised to bore a tunnel this afternoon through a mountain for the State Park Commission. Wow. You would think that there'd be some labor union somewhere that'd be really upset about this, but all right. Since Dad won't object to me keeping my promise, I'd be saving the road builders months of dangerous work. Yes, and putting them out of jobs, Superboy, but okay. Whatever makes you sleep easier at night. So he ducks into a deserted alley and he does a shirt rip, which I love. This is actually really cool. It's the cool part of the story. And he says, uh, this might be the last time I'll switch to Superboy. I feel sick to think that my exciting life will soon be just a memory. Don't be a glory hound, Superboy. You're not supposed to be doing it for those reasons. I must enjoy every second of this last super job. So he streaks off and he's trying to take care of the situation. Pardon me. And he sees these uh, these two red flags go hurtling by him, and he stops to investigate, and he runs into, oh, dear God, Super Pa Kent, wearing his Lone Ranger mask. He looks, come on, he looks flat ridiculous. And he says, I hurled those red flags to attract your attention and make you stop. Why have you disobeyed me? I told you your Superboy days were over. He says, but Dad... I promised the State Park Commission I'd bore a tunnel for them and meet them for some power converters. And he says, you could have told me about it and I'd have done it. Now go somewhere and take off that costume immediately. I'll bore the tunnel through the mountain. Okay, Dad, I'm sorry. It won't happen again. So uh, as Jonathan Kent drills into the mountain, you know, now Jonathan Kent runs the store in town. Nobody is going to recognize him. Now, I know he's wearing a Lone Ranger mask, but come on, really? All right, anyway. So, I, I guess I guess theoretically it's no more ridiculous than Clark Kent in a pair of glasses. But Clark Kent, I mean, I could buy Superboy a little more easily than I could ever buy Superman. Especially when Superman, you know, Clark Kent became a newscaster. Like, his, his city's Dan Rather. And everybody must have known his face, you would think. I find that a lot harder to swallow. You know, Clark Kent, he's hes a kid, and kids a lot of times are invisible. But come on, you know, Pa Kent's got to be, you know, one of the most recognized people in town, you would think. I don't know. So Clark is flying away, spying on his super father as he's boring this tunnel. He says, Dad is a bit unreasonable in making me give up my Superboy role so quickly and completely. But I guess he means it for my own good. Hmm, my x-ray vision reveals that he's sure doing a good tunneling job. Yeah. Um, all right, whatever. <laughs> Later at the supper table in the Kent house, and you've got Super Paw Kent. You know, he's back in his regular Paw Kent outfit and everything. Thank goodness. And he and Clark are sitting at the table, and he's using super speed. He's wolfing down his food. He says, bye, Jiminy son. You don't know how exhilarating I feel after exercising my superpowers. There's nothing in the world like being superhuman. However, one super person in this house is enough. And Clark just says, yes, Dad. And I just want to point out that he said, by Jiminy, son. Okay, that's going to become somewhat, well, it's no more relevant or irrelevant or anything else that's going to be revealed in this story. But it's, it is flat silly. Next day at the general, the Kent General Store, hmm, Professor Lang is celebrating an anniversary of the first balloon ascent. What? Who does that with passengers by going up in a balloon? He made himself. This is Clark cleaning up in the uh, general store and he's using his supervision to spy out the window. He's always doing this. 
except when he needs to be doing it. He says, I wonder what he's doing. And he sees uh, an accident happen. I'm skipping over this part of the story, but essentially, once again, Clark is caught disobeying his father because he's trying to save Professor Kent's life. And he flies to save him, and Super Paw Kent comes to the rescue and fusses Clark out for once again disobeying him and turn, turning into Superboy. By the way, who says you don't learn nothing from comics? Now, I'm not fat-checking this, of course, but it does say here, as Clark is watching uh, the professor, he says, In Paris on September 19th, 1783, so you know when the story took place anyway, it's October 19th of whatever year this is supposed to be. Joseph Montgolfier, or Montgol, how do you pronounce that? Montgolier, I think is how it's pronounced. Sent up a balloon, blah, blah, blah. Three passengers, a rooster, duck, a sheep. Uh, and it gives the whole thing about this. It's actually kind of interesting. I didn't fact check it. It could be completely made up. But I have heard of the Mon- Montgolier, or however you pronounce it, brothers. So there's a little bit of basis in fact there somewhere. Anyway, there's a whole rescue thing that happens. And this whole thing continues of... Pa Kent continuing to ground Superboy, getting more and more upset of what what he feels is Clark's uh, disobedience and everything and turning into Superboy. Eventually, a few days later, Ma Kent finally returns from out of town and she says, land safe, Clark. I love how these hillbillies talk. Everything your father just told me is true. He has superpowers. And uh, Pa's flying away again as Super Pa Kent with his mask on. He says, yes, Martha. I even fly to the store now. See you at supper time. Whatever. And Clark actually is smiling, but you wouldn't think he'd be smiling. He's looking at him and he says, hmm, Ma sure is shocked. It won't be any easier for Mom to adjust to a super husband than for me to adjust to a super father. Okay, well, she's on the other foot now, Superboy. How's it feel? So that afternoon at the store, they hear the radio and it says, calling Superboy, three rangers are trapped in a forest fire in State Park. Rescue them at once. Notice it does not say what state it is. It just says State Park. And uh, Clark says, let me go, Dad. Now, he says this, and there's a guy standing right there. There's a delivery man not 10 feet from Clark. And he says, let me go, Dad. He says, you've uh, got to sign for that order that's being delivered. Yes, it's nice of you to remember the person that's standing next to you while you're saying, let me go on the Superboy mission. Wow, who edited this? Anyway, <laughs> Pa Kent says, stay where you are, Clark. I'll sign for it and answer the SOS. What an egomaniac. So in the next page, next panel, we see Clark. And again, he's looking all dejected as Pa Kent signs for the order. And he says, I can't understand why Dad is so strict on the subject of keeping Superboy out of action. He says, look at him, signing that receipt for five crates of oranges without even checking it because he's in such a hurry to rescue those forest rangers himself. Well, maybe he did it at super speed. So he hands uh, Clark the thing, and he says, Here, Clark, file this receipt. I'm going into the storage room to switch into my super costume. Now, I'm hoping that the guy's out of the room by now when they're saying all this stuff out loud. Uh, Here's the crux of the story. Here's where the plot thickens, such as the plot even is. (laughs) He sees the thing, and Clark thinks to himself, That... The receipt, or the signature, rather, he says, the signature on that receipt. Wow. Out loud to Pa Kent, he says, okay, Dad, I'll mind the store while you're away. So something has happened. Something Pa Kent signed has made Clark go, the signature on that receipt. So he sees Pa Kent streak off, and he thinks to himself, he says, Dad painted the entire store with invisible lead paint. 
so that I can't see outside. But to blazes with this order, uh, with his orders now, I must see where he goes. So something has happened to make Clark, I won't say suspicious, but disobedient of his father. So as Clark focuses his telescopic vision on State Park, so I see what he did. He went outside. So I was like, okay, so he wants to disobey. He still can't see through lead, but he went, actually went outside. So he's outside. He's watching his dad. He sees his dad rescue the uh, the forest rangers. And then he sees his dad leave State Park. And it says, now he's summoning a Superboy robot. This was actually going to be a big sticking point with me because I was like, wait, 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 wait. He smashed all the Superboy robots, but actually, for the first time I noticed, he didn't. Or at least we didn't see him smash them all, because in that scene where he was smashing the Superboy robots behind Clark, this is on page six, second panel, there actually is another Superboy robot standing in the uh, the doorway of uh, the little secret compartment. So presumably, he was just making a demonstration to Clark, but never did get around to actually smashing all of them. So I don't know. That's going to be my no prize anyway. So anyway, Clark says he's summoning a Superboy robot. So he only pretended to destroy all the uh, Superboy robots. Yep, see, there you go. He says he must have activated this one to carry out his plans. And so Super Paw Kent is saying, all right, robot, now let's complete my plans to destroy Superboy. Dun, dun, dun. Says collect all the green kryptonite you've secretly been accumulating the past few days and transport it uh, from its hiding place to the cave in Smallville Hills. Really? Where the real Jonathan Kent sits bound and gagged. How long has he been there? How long is this story? Because I'm thinking like days, weeks possibly have gone by. How long was, was Martha out visiting? So you've had poor Jonathan Kent sitting bound and gagged all the, he's an old man. Again, I'm thinking easily in his sixties, he could die. That's awful. Anyway. So the Superboy robot says, yes, master. So the Superboy robot gathers up all of this, uh, this green kryptonite and he's flying along and, uh, Clark's watching him. He says, obviously my phony father, feels green kryptonite or fears green kryptonite just as much as I do. Aha, there's a clue. Says otherwise he wouldn't need my robot who is unaffected by kryptonite to handle the stuff for him. Now I understand why he didn't want me to act as Superboy anymore. He was afraid I might have spotted the robot collecting the kryptonite. Well, now that I know what's going on, I wish I did. He says I'll go to work. First, I'll short circuit that robot with my X-ray vision. I don't know how that works, but okay. As he's flying over that quicksand bog. Quicksand? They have quicksand in Smallville? How big is this place? They they seem to have like every environment. Ugh, whatever. Maybe it's the Genesis planet. So anyway, he says, uh, he's still watching this happen. And uh, we see Super Pa Kent. He's thinking, so he goes, something's gone wrong with the robot. He's plunging into the quicksand. The green kryptonite will be sucked down. He doesn't look like he's far enough away for the green kryptonite not to be affecting him if he is actually affected by green kryptonite. But anyway, now we see Clark. He's still watching all this happen, and he does a shirt rip, and he says, now to switch to Superboy and use my super speed to fetch something. What's he going to fetch? He's going to fetch the phantom zone projector and he actually goes 
to where we last saw it. He goes, or actually, wait a minute. This is a good point. Did Super, did we actually see Superboy? I'm going to have to check on this real quick. Did we actually see Superboy put this Phantom Zone projector back at the bottom of the ocean? Because that's where he's fetching it from. Okay, so in the Monel story, the fourth to last panel, he flew, as he's doing in this story, he flew to the bottom of the ocean. It's funny because he's flying to the bottom of the ocean. I'm looking at the Monel story right now. He's flying to the bottom of the ocean to get the box that contains the uh, the ancient Kryptonian weapons, including the Phantom Zone projector, and there's a fish right in front of the box. You fast forward to the story I'm covering right now, and he flies to the bottom of the ocean, and there's a fish right at the box. So there's something about this box that fish like. So it's funny to note, too, the box looks a little bit different than we've seen it. For one thing, it's a lot smaller than before. But anyway, he flies down, he fetches the box, and he doesn't really say what it is. He just says, I put this lead-covered box here months ago against a time when I'd need it. That's all he says. So he shortly he comes flying into the scene where Pa Kent is. Uh, they're, they're both alighting at the same time, basically, and Superboy is carrying the box. And I just realized something. The box actually is much bigger because when we're seeing it underwater, it's actually like half buried in the sediment. So anyway, they're both alighting at the same time. And Pa Kent says, Superboy, how dare you disobey me by getting into your costume and flying around? I'm going to punish you for this. And Superboy, he's very smug at this point. He's figured the whole thing out. He says, punish me for bringing you a surprise gift? Before uh, before you get too furious, Dad, in quotes, he says, take a peek at what I've brought you. As the puzzled super figure approaches, Superboy reaches out and rips his face off. Because, of course, it's a mask. He says, maybe you'll see it better after I rip your mask off, Jaxer. And he stands revealed. So now we have this uh, guy, you know, still dressed in, he's still, he's still a big paunchy dude, still a big paunchy white dude. Uh, and, you know, he's still wearing the costume and everything. And he says, how do you know my name? Well, wait, no, as uh, as Superboy's ripping the, the Pa Kent face off of him. And Jaxer is, as I say, he's a white guy. He, he's an older guy. He's completely bald. And he has like a like a pencil-thin mustache. And he Superboy is not playing. He gives him no time whatsoever. Jaxer goes, eh, it's the Phantom Zone Ray Machine. Don't! And Superboy is pressing the black button, which I just noticed are in reverse positions than we've ever seen them before. Typically, the black one's been on top and the white one's at the bottom. This time, the black one's at the bottom. Anyway, he says, I see you recognize the execution instrument used by the planet Krypton to punish its criminals. It's funny that they would call it that because that's not what it does. But anyway, he says, well, you're going back where you belong, to the Phantom Zone. Seconds later... As Superboy locates the real Jonathan Kent, who must smell lovely by this point. He's untying him and Jonathan Kent says, thank goodness you're safe, son. Really? That's the first thing you're going to say? I'd be like, thank God you finally got here. Thanks for rescuing me or something to that effect. But he, I guess it's sweet. He's concerned about his boy. He says, thank goodness you're safe, son. The fiend, (laughs) 
The Fiend planned to lure you into a kryptonite trap after the Superboy robot had collected enough kryptonite. And Superboy says, I know, Dad. And he probably kept you here so you could watch me die. And he picks up his dad and they fly away. And he, he goes and he lands at the box. And he says, I tricked Jaxer and sent him back to the Phantom Zone criminals to rejoin his fellow criminals. And Pa Kent says, wonderful. For days now, whenever he he visited. So this did go on for days. I would think that the first thing that Pa Kent would want him to do is fly him to a bathroom and or a place where he needed to change his drawers. But all right, whatever. I mean, he's an old guy. Come on. So he says, wonderful. For days now, whenever he visited me, he gloated about he intended to kill you. I remember it all so clearly. And so we get a flashback scene. And in the flashback scene, we see poor Jonathan Kent's all tied up. He's got a gag over his mouth and Jaxer is gloating. He says, soon I will order your son's Superboy robot to bring all the kryptonite he has collected to this cave. Then I will lure Superboy here into a death trap. With Superboy gone, no one can stop me from becoming ruler of the Earth. Hmm. And I had to think about that, and I think going by this era of comics and pre-crisis and all this other, I think he's pretty much right. I don't think anybody would really stand in his way. But here's the thing. Did he need to concoct such a convoluted and ridiculous plan? I think it's well established. Now, somebody feel free to to point out if I'm wrong or if you disagree with me, but I think it's pretty well established in this era of Superman comics that there was a certain hierarchy of superpowers. Like, Super Dog was more powerful than Super Cat, but Super Boy would be more powerful than a dog because a man's more, you know, a boy is more powerful than a dog. And then. Superman or boy would be more powerful than Supergirl because, come on, she's a girl. But then Superman would be more powerful than Superboy because he was a man. He was all grown up. So he'd, you know, you know what I mean? There's a certain like rank structure to how powerful they are. So Jack Sir is a full grown man. So you would think, presumably, that if he wanted Superboy dead, couldn't he just do the job himself? Couldn't he just kill Superboy if he really wanted to? Now, so that begs the question of, is he not as strong? Because to my memory in these, you know, the, the pre-crisis stories, especially this era, when you got superpowers, you got superpowers. It was like flipping a light switch. You know, they would often go from like, say, like a red red sun planet to a yellow sun environment or a yellow sun to a red planet. And it was pretty much like flipping a light switch. The minute you got there, you either had superpowers or you didn't have superpowers. It, there wasn't this like buildup of, of solar power type of thing like would be, would be done with, say, Burns Superman, for example, that he acquired his superpowers over a long period of time of absorbing Earth's yellow sunlight, which I happen to like a lot better, by the way. So, was he not as powerful? Or is he kind of a wuss? Did he just not want to have a physical confrontation with Superboy? That's just not his thing. He's he's a lover, not a fighter, or whatever the case may be. I don't know. I, what it probably comes down to, I would imagine, is that, you know, in, in this more innocent time of, of the 1960s, they were not going to have a paunchy, middle-aged, you know, fat, balding white guy beat the crap in, out of a, a teenage boy. 
I, I guess. I don't know. You, you rarely really ever saw fisticuffs in these old Superboy stories anyway. It was one of those things that you just kind of have to accept when you go back and read stuff from this era. As much as I would like to see knock down, drag out, you know, Superboy fighting villain stories, you didn't often see that. Even when they were on his same power level, like these Phantom Zone villains, you, you rarely saw a, a punch being thrown, which is really a shame but it's also why other stories that i'll be getting to later stand out so much when they would actually physically tussle so anyway this is the part of the story i really like so we're remember we're in a flashback this is pa kent telling what happened previously so we're already in a flashback and jaxer has just said you know about becoming ruler of the earth and all that and he says yes kent my dream always was world domination. And then, I love this. This is my favorite. Flashback within a flashback. You gotta love it. He says, I was a scientist on Krypton before it exploded. And we actually see this. We see Jaxer. Actually, it's a slightly slimmer Jaxer too. So I don't know what he's eating in the Phantom Zone. But anyway, we see Jaxer and it's at night. And he's standing out on this uh, gantry platform and he's watching this rocket streak into the sky. He says, the laws of Krypton forbid anyone to experiment with an untested explosive. But if I can hit that falling meteor and we see the meteor streaking through the sky, he says, and destroy it, I'll have created a weapon that will make me master of the world. But the deadly missile missed the meteor and hit one of Krypton's moons. It sliced it into four and sent the pieces whirling into Krypton's sun. Whoops. Since this moon was inhabited, all life on it was destroyed. So Jack Sir blew up a moon of Krypton. Shortly after, I was arrested, tried, and sentenced to the Phantom Zone. Get this. This is my favorite. Forever. Forever. Can you imagine that? Now, I know I've talked about the Phantom Zone before, you know, in, in the concept of how does it work, what is it like, and all that. This concept, I'll be honest with you, this kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies. Because that's, that's quite the thing to think about. And you also have to imagine that that would have an, an incredible psychological impact on anybody that would receive that sentence. So even if Jaxer wasn't necessarily a criminal, this whole thing with blowing up the moon was an accident. He didn't mean to kill people and everything. By this point, he's probably gone a little bit around the bend because, wow, you know, sentenced to eternity in the Phantom Zone. That's that's a pretty stiff penalty right there. Not, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it. I'm just saying that's when you really stop and think about that, that's that's pretty wild. You know, I mean, I can't think of of something equivalent here on Earth. You know, here in our in our societies and in, in our different justice systems, you know, it, it's pretty clear cut. You get a a certain sentence and then you get set free, or you know, if it's the extreme there's pretty much one of two things. You either get executed, you know, you're, you're sentenced to die, and then it's just, you know, it's all over, however it's done. Or you get sentenced to life imprisonment, which eventually, even though it says life in prison, you will eventually expire. So, you know, you, you're never freed, 
but eventually it ends because you pass away. This punishment will never end. Eternity in the Phantom Zone. That's that's pretty wild to think about. And I wonder how you know, what form would that actually take? You know, what what would their existence become over time? You know, say you know, if the universe survives that long, you know, a hundred million years from now, what would people like Jaxer, you know, what would phantoms like Jaxer be in the phantom zone? Would, would they still have form and, and consciousness or would they, I don't know. It's, it's just really freaky to think about. I almost think that they would become, uh, similar to those, those, weirder creatures that were on like Davy Jones's ship in, uh, in the pirates of the Caribbean movies, you know, where, where they had been there so long that they were actually becoming like one with the ship in a, in a very physical way, something like, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. It would have been really cool to explore something like that. Um, you know, if, if this version of the DC universe had, had stuck around long enough, but anyway, we actually see the sentencing process for Jack Sir. We see um, the executioner pressing the black button. Again, they're getting the, the buttons in the correct position this time. And uh, we see them pushing the black button and uh, Jack Sir fading away. And we see another guy. I have no idea who this is. He's just kind of leaning into the panel. He says, you not only recklessly des uh, destroyed that moon, but you've set, our, you've set back our defense program for years. Uh, now we can never use that moon as an observation base. That's just kind of a weird thing for him to say, because you would think that uh, it would be the lives lost, which would be the thing that they'd be most upset about. This is, uh, you know, Jaxer goes on in his ruminations. He says, for years, I and my fellow criminals watched Superboy from the invisible world of the Phantom Zone and learned all his habits. Okay, so I like that. This establishes something that would become a trend. We would regularly see that many of the Phantom Zoners had nothing better to do, essentially, than watch the real world. And one of the things that they watched regularly that some of them were outright obsessed with was Kal-El through the course of his life. Because for many of these people, uh, they considered Jor-El directly responsible for their predicament of being in the Phantom Zone in the first place. So that begs the question, where were these people the other times we've seen Kal-El projected into the Phantom Zone? You would think that they'd be essentially waiting for him to show up. And we haven't seen that yet. But uh, I really like this panel where, uh, where Jaxer is telling this because we see in the panel, we see uh, Superboy streaking through the sky and we see Jaxer. And then there's two other completely unidentified phantom zoners and i couldn't even really speculate as to who they are supposed to be they are just generic phantom zoners and there's one uh it's a bearded uh it's a bearded criminal and he says look at him fly at super speed bah if we lived on earth we too uh would have superpowers because we also come from krypton and there's another Phantom Zoner, again, another one that's not Jack Sir. It says, I hate the brat. His father, Jor-El, testified against me at my trial, which is what I was saying a moment ago. So they have reason 
to either be jealous of him or hate him outright for being Jor-El's son or some combination of the two. Jaxer continues, and he says, Then, a few weeks ago, a passing comet created a momentary warp in the Phantom Zone. Before the crack closed, I leapt out. So this is the first time we're seeing this happen. This would happen a lot from here on out that somehow or other the the phantom zone would have a rift in it uh allowing criminals to escape and sometimes allowing other people to enter the phantom zone to come and go essentially through rifts in the phantom zone um this is the first time we're seeing this i'm a little disappointed that it's a passing comet because the one that i really like is um something either atomic or nuclear that would go off that would uh, that would open a rift in the zone because of course that's what they used in superman 2 there is comic book precedent for that that will be uh that will come up in a future story but at this time it's simply a passing comet that does it but the rift opens up and we see uh now on this panel we see jaxer flying out of the rift and i'm a little disappointed in this picture because I'm presuming that he's kind of half in and half out of the Phantom Zone in this picture, but they colored him entirely Phantom. I, I wish that they had done that weird, like, faded, pastel looking color to show him, like, gaining form as he comes out, but they, they didn't choose to do that. Now, this time, there are three other criminals in there with him. Uh, I'm I'm thinking that two of them are the ones that we saw in the prior panel, but anyway... Uh, again, the bearded one speaks and he says, you're free, Jaxer. If you can get rid of Superboy, you'll rule the world. And Jaxer is saying to him, uh, back to them, he says, yes, I'll kidnap his foster father, Jonathan Kent, use a real life plastic mask to impersonate Kent and prepare a kryptonite trap for Superboy. You can watch it all from here. And again, I say, why not just like strangle the kid or something? But okay, you know, whatever works for you, I guess. Now it is worth noting that the Phantom Zone denizens speak to each other. This will change eventually. Eventually, the accepted standard would be that the Phantom Zone villains communicate both with each other and with the physical world through telepathy. That would become a, 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 an accepted, established thing. And that's what I remember about the Phantom Zone. When I when I first learned about it and first started reading about it and became you know interested in it and everything, that was the standard. So it's interesting going back to these very earliest stories, and this is the first one where we're seeing Phantom Zoners in the zone, you know, more than just Superboy or Monel there by themselves. Now we're seeing the other ones, and they're actually speaking to each other. I just thought that was really interesting. So back out of the flashback, out of the double flashback, we have Jonathan Kent, and he says, Instead, you trap Jack, sir. But tell me, lad, how did you get wise to him? And here we go. Here's the wrap-up to the whole thing. Here's your Scooby-Doo ending. Superboy holds up that receipt from earlier, the one for the five crates of oranges. And he says, Because he slipped up as every criminal must eventually. I love that. He says, In hastily signing a receipt he accidentally wrote his real name jack sir yes super dad i know you're looking on from in the phantom zone read this and weep and we actually do see phantom jack sir looking in as superboy's holding up that receipt and he's not crying 
but he does have like perspiration running down the front of his face, which is rather funny because I wouldn't think that Phantom, Phantom Zone villains could sweat. But I would uh, I would forgive it if he was actually like shedding a tear or something. I, I would forgive that. But uh, it's funny. It's it's a very you know you can almost hear the Star Trekky dun 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 dun, dun kind of ending to this. Now. I'll be honest, as wacky, as kind of dumb, as naive and innocent as this is, I really like this story. It's so, I'm just going to call a spade a spade. It's so stupid with him dressing up as Jonathan Kent and you've got this big, fat, you know, paunchy, middle-aged white guy flying around and everything doing super feats. But it's the Phantom Zone part of this I like, which is, you know, it, it all comes in in the last, you know, two pages of the book. But I like this. This this is establishing some really good stuff that would be picked up and and used a number of times in the future. Jaxer is a, is a great uh, Phantom Zone villain, and we will most definitely see him again. Um, Jaxer uh, would be used uh, repeatedly, uh, you know, to come back and uh, and be a foil for members of the uh, Super Family, and. Probably most famously in other media, there was a great two-part episode of Superman the Animated Series where Superman discovers the Phantom Zone projector. And while looking into the Phantom Zone through... In in that version of the Phantom Zone, the projector also had a viewer built right into it. So Superman and Professor Hamilton, a good friend of his are looking into the viewer when they encounter a denizen of the Phantom Zone named Mala. Now, Mala, if you remember before I mentioned, uh, was kind of an homage character back to the very first Kryptonians that Superman ever fought in Superman comics. Now, this version of Mala was a Phantom Zone criminal, and she was fe- it was a female. Now, Mala originally in the comics was a Kryptonian male, and not from the Phantom Zone, but from Krypton. Anyway, um, Mala's sentence is long over. She should have been freed long ago, but of course, you know, Krypton's been destroyed. So Superman, being Superman and doing the right thing, or what he feels is the right thing, she's paid her debt to society, she's atoned for her for her ways and everything, so he sets her free on Earth. And very quickly we realize that Mala, yeah, she's not all that repentant about what she had done and everything. And she kind of looks at Kal-El as weak. You know, he's not living up to his Kryptonian heritage and, and he's not dominating and ruling the people of Earth. He's rather their servant. So... She gets her hands on the Phantom Zone projector and she lets loose her general slash presumably lover or love interest anyway, who is very um, general Zod-like in the story as far as his backstory and much of his mannerisms and even some of the things he says. But they didn't use Zod in that story. They used Jaxer. And uh, I really like that version of Jaxer quite a bit. He looks physically different from the comic book version of Jaxer, and his origin story is very much General Zod's origin story. But I like that they use the name Jaxer, and uh, and that was really cool. And he was in uh, several stories, as I recall, of Superman the animated series. That was really good stuff. But uh, again, this Jaxer, we will see him again, and. 
it's debatable in this, I think, whether his origin and his sentencing to the Phantom Zone and everything could truly be betrayed as evil. Because on the one hand, he, you know, he is creating a weapon that he intends to use to become master of the world and all that, but he does destroy the moon rather by accident. And then again, he does intend to kill a, a teenage boy. So I, I guess that is pretty evil. But he would become, you know, later in, in later uses of, of the character, you would see where, where he truly is evil. He is not repentant for, for what he has done, you know, up to and including destroying uh, that moon of Krypton, wh- whose name is completely escaping me. I should know it. And I want to say it's like Wegthor or something like that, but I just can't recall at the moment. Now, what's really interesting in doing my homework for this, and this is going to be something I'm going to keep an eye out for to see when exactly this was established or if this is something that Steve Gerber established. But of course, much of my interest in the Phantom Zone, you know, beyond the fact that this is just simply the era of Superman that I grew up in and this is just how things were, a lot of my interest in the Phantom Zone, of course, comes from the four-issue Phantom Zone miniseries by Steve Gerber and Gene Colan. Uh, That's the whole reason I'm doing this series is to eventually get to and cover that in grand scale. It's interesting to note that in that story, and again, I'm I'm going to keep my eye out for as we go through these Phantom Zone stories to see, is this something that Gerber establishes in the Phantom Zone series, or is there precedent for it elsewhere? But anyway, in his story, in the very first issue, we get flashbacks that are told in a linear progression, the history of Krypton and the history of the Phantom Zone. In that story, we see the final criminal that gets exiled into space as that form of punishment for criminals on Krypton. We actually witness this happen. And we see a rocket launch and someone says to Jor-El, they say, uh, They'll be the last to suffer that punishment, Jor-El. The Council has approved the Phantom Zone as Krypton's official method of criminal confinement. And then as the flashback goes on, it says, Weeks uh, weeks passing in an instant, the giant planet turning in its mighty axis, swinging in in, in its inexorable orbit. Man, that's hard to say. On a collision course with destiny. It is the 62nd day of the month of (laughs) Erks. And the year 9999, renegade scientist Jaxer launches a missile uh, with an explosive, uh, explosive payload into space. His intent is to intercept a meteor and blast it into vapor as a test of his new guidance system and nuclear device. The guidance system fails. The missile hurdles past its target, uh, on past its target. And I was right, it is Wegthor, toward Wegthor. One of the moons of Krypton and its contingent of intrepid colonists, none of whom will survive the nuclear blast. And it goes on to tell, you know, how many people were killed and that the the moon itself was decimated and, and all of this. And that the Kryptonian computers were able to calculate the project, the trajectory of the missile and backtrack it to where it was launched from. And it says here, and the unrepentant Jaxer is taken into custody. So this is calling him very much a criminal. And we see the executioner, just the executioner alone in this scene, uh, pressing the button. 
which is in a different location than it was in the original story. It's now on top again. It says, for conducting unauthorized experiments in rocketry and with untested uh, explosives resulting in the slaughter of Kryptonian citizens, no mention of the uh, secret base thing, which I like, you are hereby sentenced to eternity in the Phantom Zone. The reason I go into this is because this is establishing retroactively that Jaxer is actually the first person sentenced to the Phantom Zone. We see in subsequent stories, we see uh, Professor Vacox, we see uh, Dr. Zadu, we see Feora, and we eventually see General Zod. Some of these people we've met already, some of these people we haven't. But going again from the very first Phantom Zone story that was, uh, that was back in Adventure Comics number 283, we saw Zadu and we saw Zod. We're just now, with the story I just covered, meeting uh, Jack Sir. So again, retroactively, he now becomes the first Phantom Zoner. And I find that both interesting and a little bit disturbing because I think it has slightly greater impact if you have somebody that's sentenced for 30 years and then 50 years and then somebody else for, you know, 25 or 40 or whatever. And then finally, boom, you have someone that does something so heinous that they get eternity in the Phantom Zone. I think by making him first, it's, I, I'm not sure. I think somehow it kind of hurts the impact of it just a little bit. And also you would think that that would be one heck of a deterrent for anybody wanting to do anything criminal on Krypton if there was even the slightest possibility of, oh man, if they catch me, I'm going away forever. That uh, you know, you would think, but of course, you know, the criminal brain is is what it is. But you would think that that's that's wow. So anyway, uh, yeah, I think that pretty much wraps it up for this one. Uh, let's make sure I covered all my notes. Yep, first appearance of Jack Sir, sentenced to eternity. No telepathy in this story. Uh, first crack in the Phantom Zone, and retroactively the very first uh, Phantom Zoner. And again, as I say, we will see Jack Sir again. So that pretty much brings us to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I hope I didn't stumble over my words too much. I'm really trying to do this show edit free as much as possible. For one, it's easier on me, but I like very much doing this as kind of stream of consciousness because I I think it has a certain uh, raw quality to it that uh, personally I find endearing. I hope it's, you know, easy for you guys to listen to. But uh, also, it's a it's kind of a, a test for me personally, um, you know, trying to keep my my oratory skills uh, sharpened, if that makes any sort of sense at all. Since this is kind of how, how I learn my earn my bread and butter these days. So, write in and tell me what you think about that. What do you what do you think of the uh, the unpolished nature of uh, of the narrative here? Next time around. No promises, but I think I'm actually going to try to do two stories again next time, depending on how that goes. This one went rather longer than I intended it to, but I think I may try this again next time, depending on how long the first story goes. But anyway, uh, 
as I'm looking here, the next two stories in my timeline that I have established, and again, I really encourage anyone that knows differently, please write in and clue me. And if you know of Phantom Zone stories that I may be missing in my lineup here, because I'm very much trying to cover these chronologically, the next two I have are Superman number 150 and Action Comics number 284 in which we will be introduced to more Phantom Zone villains and our first female Phantom Zone villain. That's it for now. Again, I have been Snark McGill. Please write in uh, with your feedback. Get a hold of me. Let me know what you think of the show. And I will talk to you guys again real soon. Take care and be good to one another, okay? You can contact Back to the Fins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks. From a doomed planet in a distant galaxy to a fantastic underground hideaway. From the fortress of solitude to the bustling city room of the Daily Planet. Look, up on the screen, it's Superman. Superman, the movie.